Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Best sports books of 2022. We've asked Michael Foley from the Sunday Times and Kieran Cunningham, the chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star, to offer their best. And both of you have come up with two books in particular. Uh, you want to start, I think, Kieran. We'll start with uh, the game by Ty Coakley. Why do you like this so much? Uh, well, just to fill in anybody who might know who Ty is, like Ty um, was a very talented. Uh, hurler. He represented Cork at minor level. He was captain of a winning Fitzgibbon Cup team at UCC. He was a very good footballer and a soccer player with his club, Mallow United as well. He turned to golf and cycling. So so, so um, sport has been one of his abiding passions and I first came across uh, Tag a couple of years ago. The, uh, you know, you probably know Jim Carroll, who, who, the journalist, the music yeah. journalist, who would organise, he used to organise these events uh, uh, called banter there were panellists around uh, various topics and there was one for a culture week a couple of years ago in Dublin in Dublin Castle and I was in a panel with Rachel English uh, the writer Ema Ryan and Michael Moynihan of The Examiner and the discussion was around how how rarely the GA features in Irish books in Irish literature in Irish fiction you know given the sta- the prominence of it in Irish life there's been very, very few references to it in comparative terms. But after that well, discussion... Well, at least Sally Rooney got it in. Yeah, and uh, Emer has <laughs> since written about it. But after that discussion, Tig got in touch with me because I wrote a piece around it. And Tig, you know, then released... An, he released a novel that was based around the Hur- All-Ireland Hurling Final Sunday. And hurling in particular has been very much part of his writing. And it's very... It's actually, Donald Ryan since then has brought hurling into his writing as well. But Tyg has this, like, he, he is a serious writer uh, with a love of literature and a love of sport. And to him, it's not just about the four white lines and what happens in between the four white lines or inside a ring or on a golf course. He goes to the, you know, sport matters to him. And he tries to, in this book, to explain why sport is a bigger deal to him than just a game. I want to bring Michael Foley in because I know you also love this book. In fact, for you, it's close to being one of the best books of the year, I believe. Yeah, it will be matcha. Yeah, no, it is. Um, it certainly is. I mean, it's a funny. It's it's a funny year in that it's, it's it is a good year. What I mean by funny, I suppose, is that you've got such a diverse range of book types. Um, you know, when you're kind of going, oh, that is the best book of the year. It's actually very hard to compare the top two or three, if you want to put it that way. But the game is certainly right there in the. Well, in what the is top a few? Because I remember about twenty years ago, it was a terrific book by Simon Barnes, "The Meaning of Sport," and I remember saying to somebody that we needed an Irish version of that. Is this yeah. it? Yeah, it's going that way, and and he refers to Simon Barnes's book a lot through his own book. Um, I tell you, it's one of those ones where, and, and Kieran touched on it there. Like, if you're somebody who's really into sport, I'm obsessed with sport, or not not even so much obsessed, but that you find that sport informs so much of your life and you're trying to figure out why that is or you're trying to explore that notion or in fact you're someone who lives with someone like that or you're connected to them this is a good this is a very very good starting place like it's kind of like it's a it's a series of essays I suppose in, in one sense but they are all connected along just exploring that that love for sport, why it means so much, the kind of absurdity of that love on one level, but also then maybe the notion that maybe sport is sometimes underplayed in terms of uh, its, its status maybe as an art form, in fact. You know, what it what it can bring to, to, to people's lives, what it means to people, and why it's important in that way. Like, I would know Taig, I mean, I'm... I, Grew up outside of Mallow. Mallow would, would have been our nearest town. And as a kid, I remember Tyke 
as a very fine sportsman and you'd, you'd hear his name all the time uh, around hurling teams and, and soccer and so on and so forth. So from that point of view, you know, when he starts talking about Mallow, it's particularly resonant to me. But I think there's, a, there's an enormous amount in the book. There are different... There are different elements in the book that will resonate with people in different ways. I okay. mean, the bits I liked the most was when Tyg was talking about himself. I, I, I really enjoyed when Tyg went into his own experiences and how, what, what sport meant to him. Michael, you also have, as Kieran has, the GA in 100 objects. So, Michael, tell us a yeah. little bit about what this book is about. Oh, I love this. I love it. I just love, I mean, first of all, I love the idea. Um, and that's this is what I mean about diverse kind of concepts that are out there this this year. The GN 100 Objects is by Siobhan Doyle. She's essentially taken a 100 objects and she has tried to tell elements of the story of the GA. Not the history of the GA, but just sort of give us a different insight into what the GA means to people in different ways. I've always been a huge advocate and, and kind of supporter of the notion that big stories can be told through small things. And this is a hundred small things um, through which what the GA means to all of us uh, and, and it's, it's kind of importance our society is played out. There's just some fantastic artefacts in it. Um, it kind of looks like a coffee book to people, but it's the kind of one if you pick it up, you ain't going to put it down anytime soon. Kieran, you know? what sort of things? Uh, well, will it be things like uh, uh, you know? It might be a, a medal. That's that, that, what I would immediately would have thought. Yeah, of, would yeah. it be medals or match programs or photographs or you know it could be a scar- like there's things actually that could be more. And because I remember when Siobhan, I'm sure uh, Mick was probably in, in touch with her as well. But Siobhan was looking for ideas a couple of years ago from different counties, the things that were represent. And one that I would love to make the cut that didn't was it just came to me today, the first time the Boomtown Rats. Uh, went to number one in the UK and they were on top of the pops with Rat Trap. Simon Crow, the drummer, wore an Up the Dubs headband. And it's on YouTube. You can watch it. But something like that, because like, that was 1978 and the height of Hefomania. So those little things, like that just shows you that kind of crossover between GA and rock and roll that kicked off in the 1970s. But what's great news as well, I know Siobhan is working another book that's Similar to this, but it's, it's going outside the GA. I'm not sure if it's a broader picture of our sport or focusing on a particular, uh, you know, uh, focus on soccer, rugby, whatever. But it just reminds me as well, this book, the amount of times you go into a pub and you just spend ages looking at the walls and the photographs and the memorabilia. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, Michael, I want to move on to your next choice. Claire Shine's book, Scoring Goals in the Dark. Yeah, this one came out earlier on in the year, um, and I imagine some people will be familiar with Claire's story. She she struggled with with she's Irish soccer player first of all, but she struggled with alcohol, drugs, all wrapped up in mental health issues as well. Um, um, and she has she has been a fantastic advocate over the last couple of years in terms of just telling her story. Um, but the book kind of brings it all together. Um, highly successful player with Glasgow City, Cork City before that, and as I say, with the Republic as well. She actually retired um, from Glasgow uh, in September time, so she's taking a different path now. She's 27 years of age, but what struck me about the book is, you know, first of all, it's her age, um, it's her ability, along with Garrett Shine, who, or Garrett Mara, I should say, who, who, who goes through it with her, to put this story together. I think it's it's a compact book. It doesn't outstay its welcome, if you know what I mean. It it gets you into the the maw of the problem that, that the problem she was having. It 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 lifts you up with it. It brings you down uh, with it. It's like a spiral. It reminded me actually of Tony Ten, the book long ago about the about the about Tony Arai, the the, Which the gambler the witch. Yeah, brings you along, and and it's just a very intense read. But equally at the same time, you know. 
she finds her way out of it. But but even at that, it's not so much that it's like a happy ending with a bow on top. It's just it's life, and she's moving along with it. It's just a really, really, really well put together book. Um, and you know, again, another one of those in the canon of canon of books that speaking about mental health and and, and social issues that that uh, I think are very important. You know, we had Dave Hannigan on during the year, Kieran, talking about his book Fifteen Rounds in the Wilderness, which is I think his third Muhammad it's Ali third, book, yeah, isn't it? because he, yeah, he had um, the big fight about uh, Muhammad Ali against Al Blue Lewis in the in in Crow Park, and he had Drama in the Bahamas, which was about Muhammad Ali's last fight in absolutely farcical circumstances against Trevor Berbick. And, uh, but Dave, uh, like I've talked to Dave a few times about Ali over the years and, uh, you know, we talked about, I moved out this year and I give, actually give away 2,000 sports books because we, we didn't have enough room, but I've you kept... You had 2,000 sports yeah, books? Yeah, yeah, you would easily... Well, I would anyway, I'd pick up the... And, and other books, I read, <laughs> read them with other things sometimes as well. But I kept all the Ali ones and I have about 25 Ali books and I would say Dave has 200 Ali books now and you talk to so many people about it and he told me recently actually now... The research he did into this book has given him an idea for another one, so he might do a fourth. But this one looks at 15 years after he retired and how he became this, you know, the smiling public man is, you know, to use that WBH line. And he was going all over the world and the little interactions he had with people, you know, that made such a difference to him. Like uh, there's one... um, you know, Dave tell, t- was talking to me about this and he compared it to an American indie movie, you know, that the, the, uh, the, he was, Ali was driving from Chicago to L.A. with his accountant in the early 80s. They were in a stud spare cat, which kind of like a Bentley, you know, a, a luxury car. And the car kept breaking down. So they just stopped in this tiny village in the, in the middle of nowhere, in, in Odellsville, USA. It'd be like Tiger Woods and LeBron James now going into a diner there. They walked into the diner and the mecha- uh, then they got some data. Ali went over to the garage to get the mechanic to look at the car. And the mechanic ran out to get the local paper to get a reporter down. But they just, uh, he, he tracked down these people and they had these stories. And he just touched so many people's lives. And like Eamon Dunphy told me a story before, like when he did his U2 book, I think it was an Amnesty International tour. And he was backstage and uh, uh, Ali was there. And Ali was around to music, um, magic tricks for everyone. And he was just this... So this is Muhammad Ali rather than Ali Bono's yeah. wife. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> but he just had this, uh, this magic... Like so many people now, that was a highlight of their lives. You know, he had this incredible post-boxing life that he ended up everywhere from Vietnam to North Korea. You weren't the first. In that. <laughs> South Africa, Sudan, London. Anywhere he was invited, he would go. Yeah. And he'd just jump on a plane, head off. Okay. Uh, other books, Michael, that you have on the list. Um, Paul Hayward is one of England's best football writers. I haven't seen this book, England Football, the biography. What's it like? Yeah, it's one I'm dipping in and out of at the moment. So it's like he's taken three years to put this together. It's essentially a history of English football through the national team. Um, so it's just it's just interesting to kind of read a book like that, take a step back almost, you know. I mean, sometimes, it's, particularly with the English football team, and whether we like it or not, we do have a, a big interest in the English football team over here. I sorry, the, um, the TV numbers for the England matches in the World Cup absolutely illustrate that. Ah, uh, sure. Listen, you know, because we sure for all for all the obvious reasons, we're we're, we're interested in them. Um, but 
it's just that it's that ability to kind of take a step back and have a look at the bigger picture. So I'm, at the moment, I'm dipping in and out of it, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, so yeah, no, it's just one. It's one that caught my eye. As I say, as you, and as you said yourself, Matt, it's not one that I've actually seen here around in the bookshops too much. But uh, I got it online, so uh, no, I, I would definitely recommend it. Okay, what's Kieran? What's Let's Get Physical by Danielle Friedman? Yeah, this uh, no, this uh, I um, I read this back at the start of January. It only came out at the start of the year, and it just it's something that struck me. Um, I, I I was curious about it because I've been doing this roughly thirty years. I would say um, make is probably you make you're probably around twenty five years. So we Bang on. Got, yeah, no. No, no, you're spot on. Yeah, you're spot oh, on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But one, no, the biggest change that's come through in our time writing about sport uh, is the impact made by females and women uh, athletes across a range of sports. That when I started out, you know, Sonia Sullivan and Katrina McKiernan were just starting out in the eighties, seventies. There was very little, and it's been uh, that whole, you know. People don't realise the stigma that was there around women being involved in sport or women exercising. Like even I was, I was looking into something else recently and the main opposition, like the first Irish athlete to go to the Olympics, a female athlete, was Maeve Kyle in 1956. And there were letters to the Irish Times complaining about her going there since she was a disgrace to Irish womanhood. She's talked in an interview since so about... Why was she yeah, a disgrace to Irish womanhood? No, like, just expand that. When she was out training on, on training runs, she was verbally abused and things would be thrown at her. And you know who the main opponent to uh, Irish woman go to the Olympics for the 20 years before 56 was? Archbishop John McQuaid? Yes. How Absolutely. come I guess that? Huh? <laughs> well, there you go. But that's how he's like Zelig in these yeah, days. He's but, everywhere. But that's how that's how opposed official Ireland was. And this just goes into it. You know the stigma that was around exercise. exercise that uh, it was seen as unladylike to sweat. You know, they'd even the development of sports bras to pick something out. That there's a chapter in the book that was put back uh, because people didn't want. Uh, you know, they could have done that years before they actually made them, but yeah. they just didn't want women exercising. Like, there's a famous photograph like of... The famous I, story of the Boston, uh, Boston Marathon. Boston Marathon. I can't think of her name offhand, but uh, she was attacked uh, when she, she was the first woman to take part in the Boston Marathon, and she was attacked. So this goes into the struggles women have had to face in sport. I'm surprised you don't have the Kelly Harrington autobiography on the list with Roddy Doyle. Well... I'll tell you the, the the reason, Matt. It's just over familiarity with the story. It's very well written, as you'd expect from Roddy. Oh, it's terrific. You know, you know, she has a captivating story. But I've read and you know, I've had a few interviews with Kelly. I've read a lot of other interviews. I knew a lot of the story. There's things she goes into a lot more detail about her background. Like she says stuff about her teenagers. Yeah, because she'd hinted, she'd hinted at that before, and that's that's one of the most interesting parts of the book. But. I, I've just, in a way, I've gone off Goldstead books a bit, though. That's, uh, I just think there's too many of them. And, That's uh, fair enough. But Michael, I think, you, I think it's one of the better Goldstead books, I have yeah. to say. As you'd expect from Roddy Doyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 in general, I'd agree with Kieran. I do actually think that the Rod Father, you know, kind of steps out of the... <laughs> as you expect, steps out of the uh, of the of the stereotype of the ghost written book, you know. Which, in uh, fairness, as well to Paul Hard, which Paul is brilliant at, is that he didn't bring his own voice to it. He allowed Roddy's voice what, very much in what he wrote to be isn't, bouncing isn't off that, the pages. Is, isn't is, isn't that the whole thing about ghost writing books? I was only thinking uh, today, in particular, it being the tenth anniversary of Paddy O'Shea's passing today. Um, 
his autobiography I remember was one of the very first ones I thought Christ have absolutely nailed his voice or the feel of the feel of his personality if you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, at the time that's what you want from, from, from autobiographies I'd agree with Kieran like, just in terms of Kelly um, the, op- the opening sections are, are the bits that, that, that really do grab you but again Roddy Doyle has captured her voice perfectly the Rod father as I say is just exactly what you'd expect and what you'd hope for and what you'd expect it's just funny and it's restless and Every endeavour that Roddy Collins takes on seems to be on the edge. <laughs> you know, it could it could go either way at any second. It could just con- spontaneously combust into flames, I, I, uh, I ha- including himself. I it's have great. To, I have to say, Michael, as well, if I ever want to sell a book, if and when I write a book, I want Paul and Roddy to market it because the oh, marketing job they've done absolutely. is unreal. The publicity they've got, uh, like Roddy's done a co- did a con for us for years. He's, he's wrote, wrote a con for us for years. He's a very funny man. Uh, and Paul Howard is one of the funniest Irish writers since Flann O'Brien. I genuinely think that. Like, he's way underrated, even though he gets a lot of praise. Like, so he, they were a perfect marriage in terms of humour and get the humour out of each other. And three, of the four, three or four of the stories might even be true. <laughs> which would be a bonus wouldn't it but I mean you know it's all, it's, that's fine that's fine let's roll with it it's, it's great and I mean the thing is and you're dead right I mean look there, you, you would look at it and say oh, they're a match made in heaven but it still needs to work mm. you know and it does it does work um, it's a, and, and this is what I mean like some of the best books of the year are so different I mean I saw one I saw some, somewhere else they were kind of they were picking books of the year and they had the game and the Rodfather. and I was like you can't they're completely incomparable, mm. and yet they're both very good. So there's a lot of there's a lot of choice for people out there this year. I think. Okay, Shane, the pedant from Leitrim, as he describes himself, says Sally Rooney didn't capture the GA normal people in the novel. It was soccer. It was changed for the TV show. Yeah, correct. And of course, Fair I read enough. the book and didn't watch the TV show, so I should have copped that one. My mistake. Apologies. Yeah, I think it was uh, I think it was Lenny Abrahams uh, that wanted to change it. He changed it for the TV. But in fairness, she was involved in co-writing the yeah, TV yeah, yeah. version yeah, yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm clutching Good man, Matt, keep digging there. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael, give us one other choice from the time that we have left. What else would you pick? Oh, out? man. Yeah, look, there's, as I said, there's, there's a lot of nice stuff out there. Like, I mean, there's a lot of interesting. I mean, it's just in terms of sort of um, historical things that would strike me, like After the Storm by Damien Lauder, I think is an important book. It's uh, it's going to be it's going to a record, the first draft, I suppose, of, of uh, the GA and COVID, which I think is good. There's a lot of books out by hero publish, uh, publishers. Yeah, um, this is Lee a lot of operation. Yeah, yeah, an enormous amount of books, and there's a lot of good ones. There's one on Limerick. I know that Kieran likes. Uh, there's a, and there's one on the Dooley Brothers Smoffley. One that caught my eye that might have gone under the radar was about Martin Oak Morrissey, uh, the old Waterford hurler. He he was there in the, for the 1959 All Ireland, the Waterford Lads All Ireland hurling win, um, and it's it's a wonderful story about Martin himself. He like. Five foot eight, twelve stones playing centre back for Waterford. I leave you. I leave you. Work out the rest. That's fair going. That wasn't small back in the late nineteen fifties. It, five foot eight and twelve stone was tiny playing centre back back then. How he did it? He was a man who played. He played he, a lot of ground hurling. He was you know eighty yards down the field, not a bother. But what's interesting about this book to me is that. That period, that 50s, 60s period of GA history is slightly, I think, well, it was underserved. And that, that Waterford team was a real kind of a, it was an influencer team, if you want to put it that way. Um, so through Martin's story, Dermot Keysblow has done a very good job in capturing Martin's story, but also capturing the story of that team and some of the personalities. Because, right. you know... Think these things get lost if if they're if 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 they're not recorded like that. So I think that's those are. Kieran, you have Limerick, a biography and nine lives. Yeah, yeah. Just a quick one, this because I think Liam Hayes and Hero Books, like Liam, is doing an essential service in that he's not just looking for the Kelly Harrington story or the Roy Keane story. He, you know. 
<laughs> to use the, you know, the League of Gentlemen line or paraphrase that, you know, local stories for local people, that a lot of them will, will like the Waterford story might not much of the appeal outside Waterford or the Clare story. It's uh, not a bad Clare, business whatever. model for the no, local area. No, it's not. Either. And I think, but I think I have a feeling like Arthur James O'Dee's book Limerick, a story of nine lives. I think this might be a template that will do similar books, you know, tell the stories of other counties in that way. And I think it would be a very good idea. Like, Arthur's a bright chap. He works in this building. He works for News Talk. He did a PhD in Bob Dylan. Like, he's got a lot going on, Arthur. And he get, what, what, is going, what is great with this story is that it's very easy to forget. Well, you know, well, we shouldn't forget. But how Limerick reviewed up till five or six years ago, know. they were seen as serial losers. And your mindset changes so quickly. Like the same thing happened with the Dublin footballers. Serial losers. Now they look unbeatable. Yeah, now then, then we suddenly, very suddenly start thinking of it's unbeatable. But he just picks the interview as well. And there's so many colourful figures. It goes back to Dennis Walsh's book, The Revolution Years, the 90s. It was such an interesting thing. And there's a great interview with Tom Ryan, the manager from that time. And just a couple of lines of this. He lost two all and finally he's asked does he lose any sleep over them and he said when I got up in the morning I had a company to run a farm to run you cannot cash any of the, that other stuff in anywhere Luke I'm 77 years of age and still looking forward to cows calving <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised both of you didn't go for the Alan Shipnock book on Phil Mickelson but we don't oh, have time to get into that starting at, starting at Matt it's first chapter is tremendous Okay, that's actually one that I flicked at earlier in the year and I promised that I'm going to read over the Christmas period Michael Foley from the Sunday Times. Thanks for going into our Cork studio for this. And Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer with the Irish Daily Star. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30. Today.